Hey, alright! And welcome. Better yet, I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better yet, is a conversation about music. And our conversation this week is with Anika Pyle. Anika's releasing Wild River, her first solo record, tomorrow, February 12th. And she's back on the pod to talk about it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Namdi for our intro music, Marcus Nuccio, for our graphics each week. You can see all those on our website, betteryetpod.com. Invite y'all to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. You can follow us on Bandcamp, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. Bubba's, how we doing out there? I'm bringing it in as positive as I can today, but it's been a struggle this past, I don't know, five days or so. My horoscope said that I've been feeling like the evaporating mist after a summer rain. And I think in February terms, it's more like the layer of powdery snow that gets blown from my lawn onto my driveway, but scattered. A little discontent, a little blue, which is, I think, a relatable feeling during the winter time, uh, even when I have my happy lamp on. But there are always weeks like that, right? I remember one time Marcus and I were walking home from Go Tavern in Chicago. It may have still been called Dorothy's then. But Go slash Dorothy's is a liquor store at Armitage in Kedzie that also has a bar. It's cleaned up its image a little bit in the last few years, but there's only so much you can do when one and a half of your wall space is just coolers. That combination of lights and reflective glass, there's a certain ambience that can never be taken from it. But we were walking home on a February night and had a bit of blues we were talking about in this stretch of time. And he said, February is always tough because you think there are less days, it's going to go by quicker, but it always seems to last longer. I always remember that. And Marcus has always been good to me. But I hope this is finding everyone well. And if you're feeling a little lost in your own head right now, go easy on yourself. You got a great brain in there. It'll make it up to you soon. Uh, With all that in mind, uh, I'm going to take next week off from the podcast just to get a breather a little bit. So we'll be back. On Thursday, the 25th, but we will be keeping up on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast, where we've got some very fun audiovisual programming available to you. I'm in a mix of songs from my favorite splits this week, and I went in on this stuff too. I didn't want to just throw out the first 10 that came to mind. I'm very proud of the ground that we covered with this thing. It's everything from Glockamora and Summer Vacation to Spaz and Charles Bronson to My Morning Jacket and Songs Ohio. We've also got a collaborative GBV mixtape that my dear friend Pat Nordyke and I worked on together. That's over there on Patreon. And we got a slew of audio from the Life's Work podcast about Laura Stevenson's Set Resist. All my interviews with Laura, as well as my conversation with Chris Gethard. Plus, we get a weekly contribution from our guests, a special piece of bonus content that is available only on our Patreon. Brian from now gave us an entire unreleased live set that thou recorded in 2018. Playlists from Lucy Dacus, Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties, covers Augusta Koch doing June on the West Coast by Bright Eyes. Tony Molina and Rose Melberg doing 14 Cheerleader Cold Front by GBV. Jake Ewald, Slaughter Beach Dog. Ever heard of them? Covering Drunken Angel by Lucinda Williams. This week, Anika shared with us an early demo of Prayer for Lonely People. Very raw Casio tones. Those glorious program beats that 
you'll hear about later on the pod. It's available only on our Patreon. Now we've got two tiers of pledging for Patreon. You can toss us $3 a month, and I'll give you access to all the bonus audio and visual content that we're posting weekly. But if you pledge $10 a month, you'll get all that. Plus, every three months, we'll be sending out some cool merchandise. Got some custom printed notebooks over there. Did it myself. They look great. When you pledge to our Patreon, no matter which tier you're pledging to, we split the revenue from this podcast evenly between the show, the guests, and organizations chosen by our guests. We're paying Anika for this interview, and we're also sending money this week to the Village of Arts and Humanities, a not-for-profit community arts organization in North Philly. Happy to be helping them out this week. If you'd like to support them and support the show, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. All right. My guest this week is Anika Pyle. Anika, of course, hit the ground running with her band Chumped before moving on to a new band called Katie Ellen. Anika and Katie Ellen were touring off the EP Still Life in the summer of 2018 when Anika and I talked the first time. That is one of my favorite episodes of this program. It's available in our archives, betteryetpod.com. Anika has released some music here and there under her own name, but she's putting out her debut solo LP, Wild River, a record that compiles songs and poems centered around the passing of her dad in October of 2019. It's hefty emotional material that Anika's taking on openly and without restraint, and she does so while expanding her sonic palette, incorporating electronic tones, and elements of lo-fi to create a document that is so special and so bold. It's the best record she's made, and I'm overjoyed to have had this conversation with her and to share it with you. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back in two weeks. For now, here's me and Anika Pyle. We're gonna grow some uh, monarchs. We're gonna we're gonna let some monarchs uh, populate our backyard this summer. I love it. Are you gonna grow like a butterfly-friendly garden? Are you gonna? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So and we got a we're getting a ton of milkweed together for those caterpillars because they right. just they just eat it up. Just make sure you don't get tropical milkweed because oh. that is high in. Um, a toxin, the toxin that exists in milkweed naturally that butterflies eat to, it like kind of becomes part of their DNA to um, ward off predators. Mm-hmm. They become like slightly poisonous. Okay. And the tropical milkweed is too high in this compound. And so sometimes it leads to defects in monarch caterpillars. So. Hot tip. I've been, I want to grow a butterfly garden too, so I've been doing some research. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and do you have space for it? Are you still in Philly? Still in Philly. I don't really have space for it. I mean, you can grow little things, but we probably have like a, it's like, I want to say it's probably like three feet by 12 feet mm-hmm. of space. And, Probably like three by three of it is taken up by like this tiny little dog run that I made for sister because we got her like super young and I was like, you know, you're not technically supposed to walk a puppy on the street because there's parvo Mm. stuff everywhere. There's bad stuff for them. 
So I was like, well, I guess I'll just build this little, I was like, maybe I'll build like a puppy potty with like grass. And then I tried that. I got like a tiny little piece of turf and I was like, this is fucking gross. It smells terrible. So I built like her a little gravel pit and we have like a storm drain out there and it drains directly into the storm drain. And so it's pretty awesome. So, but we have a big ledge, like a cement thing. So I'm just going to plant milkweed and a bunch of planters and see what happens. And some zinnias, you know? Yeah. So you got, you got this, you got this dog as a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? How'd that go? Was that like, uh, was it stressful? Um, it was stressful at first because I got into this routine. Roger and I kind of like settled into this like little, um, you know, lockdown routine Uh and I, it was really keeping me sane. It was like, you know, get up, write yoga, uh, write email, dinner, TV, or reading, Uh repeat, you know? And then all of a sudden it was like, we got this, you know, 10 week old puppy and none of that was possible. And I feel like I'm just now, I don't think I've quite recovered from the loss of the routine. Mm-hmm. So at first I was like, why did I do this? This is crazy. I can't take care of a puppy. I'm a bad mom. It's horrible. <laughs> and then, you know, Roger was like, she's not going to be a puppy forever. You need to like hold on to these moments. And it kind of jolted me out of my shame space. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think she is super loving and squiggly and what I call squiggly, but like squishy, you know, mm-hmm. cuddly because she was, yeah, rescued with her mom and her litter mates. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, they all got to be together until she came to us. And then we kind of, you know, she, I think her trauma was limited. Yeah. Um, which is pretty rare in a rescue dog because they go through a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's great. And, and I'm sure that the routine stuff will come back eventually, maybe after you get out of this phase of, uh, putting all of your energy into releasing this record of yours yeah yeah which is out in terms of the the podcast this is coming out tomorrow oh really wow okay yeah yeah. i love it that's good so so, and it's it's super exciting too and it's nice to have you back on anika because in the last couple of months i've talked to augusta and sheena of well how did it go it went sheena anika and augusta on the ep right yeah i love that little record that y'all made together thank you me too um and that that had to be a very fun and supportive experience for the three of you um yeah it was really great i've been reminiscing about it a lot actually um yeah. Just like a really no no pressure music making experience. Definitely, you know, a bit different than other things that I think all of us have done. It was really like about making something that sounded different and really about hanging out and collaborating and playing on our strengths. And mm-hmm. it was really special. And I hope like- we get to do it again. Yeah, for sure. And that's got to be like such a great space for, like you said, doing things that are a little bit different. You got two homies that are that are there to help the risk factor, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I feel like, too, the, the song that you had on there, Conversations with Nicole, that is a really good like insight into where you're headed on Wild River. Yeah, yeah, good precursor. Totally. So, I mean, with this record, I really love the way that you've blended a lot of elements on here. Just like looking at the first two tracks, you you open up with some audio from a cassette tape. And that, that's your grandmother, right? Yeah, it's my grandmother. Yeah. Is that Katie Ellen? No, that Katie Ellen is my great grandmother on oh, my dad's okay. side. Uh, or my mom on my mom's side and this the recording on the the opening recording on wild river is my dad's mother my maternal grandmother Mm -hmm. um and it's actually so noisy i I just listened to it on vinyl because i got the test press in the mail and i was like holy shit this is so noisy it was already really noisy but it's because she 
um, had COPD and the mm-hmm. sound you're hearing, the intense sound you're hearing is her oxygen machine. Oh, wow. And yeah, so I, I didn't realize how arresting it was until I listened to it on wax. And I was like, oh, holy shit, that like, kind of hits you in the face when you start listening. So, yeah, fun this, fact. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it does like that, that hiss too. There's a lot of like great lo-fi hiss, even on those like opening guitar chords that mm-hmm. are... And they're along with it. And then you got you got spoken word. You got singing. You're in a falsetto. And that's all just the first track. And then that second track, those cool electronic tones coming in. It's like, all right, we are we are widening the spectrum here. Mm-hmm. In terms of like stretching yourself out in that way, I mean, there's a lot of risk involved in that, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, I certainly, I was just, I had this thought today, like, well, you know, I couldn't figure out what genre it was. Like when I put it first into SoundCloud, it was like world music. And I was like, (laughs) I don't know. Um, and I was like, could be world music. I don't really know what that means. Uh, and I finally, you know, as I was doing the metadata stuff that you do when you do digital distribution, um, they make you choose a genre Mm -hmm. surprise. And you know, I put indie and spoken word and I was like, oh, all my diehard Chump fans are going to be really surprised to hear that this is a half poetry record, but you never know. That's maybe that's me being reductive, Um, maybe myopic about what, what people like too. So I feel like people who've been following you since Chumped are along for the ride and Mm. also i think you've been a lot more at least like public with the other things that you're doing outside of music your poetry and and your art your art stuff your collage shit and um i don't mean to when i say collage shit um, that's a good (laughs) my collage shit you know um so and you know, but I, I think like that can be a little scary, right? When you're you've, you're known for like one thing and trying to like integrate other parts of your creativity is, I mean, do you worry, do, does that worry you at all about like, you know, um, like this is getting too far away from the chump thing, even though you're already kind of drifting from it? Yeah, I don't worry so much about being so far away from something that was so life-defining, you know, five or seven years ago. Um, I do sometimes worry that I'm like a little, I was like, maybe if I just picked one thing and focused on it, you know, I could get a lot more done. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just like, I get creatively exhausted and I have to switch, switch mediums. Um, And that kind of helps me stay creative all over the place because my brain is like, I can't make music anymore. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, I guess I'll write a poem. And it's like, well, I can't write poetry. So I guess I'll work with my hands and um, I can't work with my hands. So I guess I'll move my body. And yeah, sometimes I'm like, I don't exactly know what I'm doing, but I just will keep rotating and getting, maybe if I just keep, it's like a circuit routine, you know, maybe I'll get stronger at each one as I rotate, Yeah, you know, between them yeah certainly and i think that this record has a really like all-encompassing feel to it it feels like it's um i guess it's it it doesn't not only does it not stick to genre but having a spoken word element to it and also just like the sonic differences i think add to just this as a really interesting document for you to share um so sonically like let's 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 look a little bit at the influence in terms of like the electronic stuff because that's a that's a different thing for you you fit into it really naturally what were you what were you finding around (laughs) that time um 
And like, what do you, what do you think helped you to explore in that way? Well, um, sorry, I was just thinking about how when you said that it was a document, I like looked at you and was like, went to like a completely different planet <laughs> because I was processing that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I just to like go back for one second. So I like, you know, you, I can let you in on my brain process, but. Well, you can, um, you, you got good. an insight into my brain process, which is if I don't get something right away, I'm like, okay, all right, on to the next one. <laughs> well, um, I was like, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this. Um, I was talking to someone else the other day and I was like, yeah, I guess it's more like an essay than it is like a, a record. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very much like a, um, I, someone had referred to it as an album length essay and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how it is. Like you need to listen to it from front to back. It, it's like, yeah. it's self-referential. Um, so it's, I just was taken aback by the word document because it is a document. It documents a specific moment in time and documents several feelings, um, and, you know, to segue, I think sometimes when you're documenting, you're pulling from different pieces of evidence. Mm. So, you know, let's say you're writing an essay and you're like, okay, well, I need to show this in a graph and I need to show this in, um, you know, I need a supplemental photograph or something. And so I think s- somehow that's kind of how the electronic stuff, um, like it's a little all over the place. Like they're, you know, most of the record is tracked on classical guitar uh-huh. and vocals simultaneously. So that's why it's kind of la- like noisy because we did it at the same time to kind of capture the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the electronic stuff kind of takes you somewhere else, it's sort of like cinematic. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily like, I was like, oh, I need like a cinematic thing. But I think it lends itself to presenting the information in a different way and that's kind of I had been wanting to make music like that for a long time but didn't feel like I knew how or didn't really have access to it and I was gifted a this keyboard that is a Casio keyboard real straightforward classic Mm -hmm. situation has a lot of little bleep bloops you know programs and stuff and um yeah I just started writing on it and things came out so differently. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really kind of fun. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was writing on that. And then we inherited a Fender Rhodes. And I was writing on that, which oh. was, it's been really special. Yeah. Um, so a couple, uh, I guess there's just one song that's tracked on the Rhodes um, on the record. But mm-hmm. yeah, so it definitely like, you know, and then Matt Schimmelfenig, who recorded and mixed the record, like, mm-hmm. you know, helped me produce all of the electronic songs. Um, so it's like, you know, I would come to him with this really shitty, like, uh, you know, like tone zero, zero, three, rhythm one, uh-huh, four, five, uh-huh. you know, whatever the fuck that is. And then, and then he kind of, um, like elevated it and found, you know, we worked together to find some some tones that were more sophisticated Mm -hmm. and um yeah he he really took it to the next level he's a fucking genius he is he really is um i think he's gonna be on soon i can't wait to talk to him because i love those three-man cannon records and fucking what he did with that slaughter beach dog thing is just oh my god um but that that has to be like a lot of fun in terms of like finding the tones. Do you go off of like intuition with that? Or do you have, um, I guess if you're working with just like kind of those original tones as like a demo, as you start to like, you know, shift it a little bit more and more, you're, you're finding things that you're liking moving I guess just like closer to that circle right yeah I think it's kind of like you know what comes out of this keyboard is so constrained Mm -hmm. um and then you know if you listen to the original demos you can hear where the song came from you know that the finished song on the record of all these electronic tracks it's not like 
it's in no way a huge leap. It's just like finding something that kind of remains true to the original form, mm-hmm. um, but it's just more pleasing and more f- like full. Um, and then, you know, adding, it's like the drums on here are hilarious. Right. <laughs> um, so it's like finding something that, you know, keeps the same beat, but is a lot yeah, more satisfying mm-hmm. to hear. Um, and Matt really helped a lot with that because he's, you know, familiar with the tools and, you know, I think it's a lot of, um, like using metaphor, like trying to find the same language. Yeah. So there were a couple moments where we were tracking and I was like, um, uh, you know, can you, I really want it to sound like, like a, like a choir of homeless mice, like, you know, out in the cold, shivering, singing together, you know, and he's like, oh, okay, uh, let's use the air organ, you know, it's like, I don't have, the way that it looks in my brain is like very strange, you know, it's, I feel like I've, I don't have a lot of theory practice, Mm. so I find that I'm like frequently doing this when I'm collaborating with people, I'm like, okay, so it's like, it's like, ding, 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 ah, do do ding, ah, do do ding, ah, you know, and someone's like, oh yeah, that's a, black flange yeah. blah 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 or whatever but right i don't know so i'm just going on what i what i can make up in my little weird brain <laughs> and where did the classical guitar come into play have you uh, is that like a newer instrument for you um i mean actually my first guitar was a cla- technically a uh-huh. classical guitar it was like a not even a nylon string probably like a plastic string yeah. from walmart but it was supposed to be a classical guitar um I really love, um, I just love the sound of it. I didn't play with a pick. Um, I love that it's more percussive and like, um, the sound really resonates on a classical Mm -hmm. guitar. And yeah, when I was playing it on like a Martin or, you know, whatever, an acoustic guitar, um, it had this tonal quality but I found that I like wanted more like natural reverb. And when I started playing it on a classical guitar, it just filled this hole that I was looking mm-hmm. for. Um, and yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. The neck on the classical guitar is much thicker. Usually it's much wider. So that is something that's challenging to get used to, but um Okay, so you meant you mentioned your grandmother in the the mm-hmm. recordings that kind of opened the record, um, and that's your dad's mom. Yeah, and I know that this record is is about your dad passing, um, and that was October of twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it, it was his birthday this week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, on the fourth. How are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. I yeah. definitely. It's like. Um. I think I've been. Kind of burying a lot of, the necessary. Like. Like I needed to make some space to, feel grief. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been trying to just like get through the past year because there's just so much grief around us. You know, we're like living in a state of constant grieving and loss. Um, And so I don't think I like paid as much attention to my own thoughts and feelings. And as I'm like revisiting stuff for the record, I think I'm kind of dredging up some stuff, which is good because I need to, you know, I need to hold space for my own emotional process. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I made a little key lime. My dad's favorite was key lime pie. And uh, last night, or yesterday, I made a little key lime pie, but I didn't have enough yeah. lime. So it ended up being like a mixed citrus ginger pie with Ritz cracker crust because I didn't have any graham crackers. So I was really pulling yeah. for my uh, creative <laughs> catalog for uh-huh. that one. But How'd it turn key, out? It was really good, actually. Yeah. yeah it was nice. It was really good. So, um, Do you yeah. have siblings? I do, yeah. I have a little brother, um, mm-hmm. and I have an older sister. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, you know, I I couldn't imagine what the months 
right after this were like for you during that time um but were you writing were you you kind of talked about doing a lot of activity uh to kind of avoid which is i i think everybody does that in yeah. some form what were you were you channeling it creatively yeah i mean i think right after um right after or right before my dad passed i got asked to play a show a grant funded show at um the philadelphia free library mm-hmm. and so you know i was preparing for that for a couple of weeks before he passed away and you know after he passed like um you know, my, my approach to that performance, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it, but I was really excited about it. Um, and so I was able to perform like in between going home to Colorado and taking care of like all of the logistics that, you know, no one really talks about when someone dies. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, after, um, after he died, I kind of like obviously was in a completely different emotional space than I was before. Um, so I sort of shifted my focus for this, for this particular performance and wrote, you know, wrote new material in response to, to his passing, um, as a way to kind of process and really sort of like communicate with him, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it became this kind of like you know, for lack of a better, I mean, I don't know if there's really a better term for it, but like a prayer space, you know, a meditative space, Mm -hmm. like writing and especially on the piano, I felt like some somehow differently connected to it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that became like the only time in which I could really think about him was, was writing poetry or, or playing music and, you know, everything else was, I was working three jobs uh, for mm. work because I was teaching yoga really. And, mm-hmm. um, and so there wasn't much, you know, there wasn't much time left unless I really made it to think about, to think about him. And it was really, it kind of just became sort of, um, yeah, more painful than I expected. Um, and so, playing music was a way for it to feel, I think, less, less yeah. painful. Um, you're, you're also, you're sentimental in, in very good ways. And I, you mentioned going back to Colorado and I kind of was wondering if you learned anything about him after the fact it seems like he was a pretty interesting dude, at least from what I've learned, like solely on this record. Um, you know, you put, po- you posted about him, but I, I kind of wanted to go in and, and try and understand him in, in just what you present on wild river. And I, I learned so much about him and, um, you have so many questions. And I, so I was just wondering, mm-hmm. you know, if, if like after the fact, if you, um, if you learned anything or if you got any sort of keepsakes from, from, um, yeah. Um, I think by, you know, it was interesting hearing some people's stories. Um, and I think something that I hold dear and that really is like representative of my dad. Um, he worked, at a fancy steakhouse, he was a dishwasher, mm-hmm. and he had a coworker who worked with him in the kitchen who was studying for his citizenship, um, or you know, his naturalization test, which is like so much, so involved, and like so much yeah. more than most like born, you know, birthright American citizens um, know. And my dad was commuting on the train and like two trains and a bus. It took him like two hours to get to work and back. And so, mm. you know, this, this man started offering him rides in exchange for like my dad helping him study. And so they would listen to this CD that he 
had about American history and to prepare him for the test. And my dad would quiz him and kind of help him with that. And Mm. after my dad passed, the restaurant invited us, uh, my sister and I, to go to have dinner there. And it was kind of like a receiving line of his coworkers. Um, And that was really like the biggest social network in his life at the time and was really important to him. So it was really special to, you know, hear from all these people that I had never met that, you know, spent more time with my dad than I did. Um, and yeah, when, when this particular man told us the, that story, um, it was really, it was really special. Yeah. That's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's funny. I, I actually pointed to, or I circled like that line that you have in, uh, the Mexican restaurant where I last saw my father, the line about the service being terrible, but the two of you as people who've worked in restaurants understanding there's so much just in, just in that. And I think that that's like, that's a really rare thing because that's something that like, you know, I've done with my friends don't mm-hmm. with my partner we go out and we get bad service like we we get it you, you don't get it too often with the adults in your life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um can i ask you about the the 40 hours line mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's um uh it's my dad had passed and you know he my mother and him have been divorced since, you know, for like 25 years, 26 years. Mm -hmm. He lived with a roommate and, um, you know, it's like death is so circumstantial. Like it's, um, I don't think people like talk about the details or like how, like these kind of like very life things that happen. Like my dad dies and like the only people who know are the cops. So the cops have to track you down, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, and some, you know, like they couldn't find his wallet. So it was like they had little information to go on. And my sister was in Spain at the time and they had an address for me in New York. So, you know, I think about this moment where it's like the NYPD probably showed up at this apartment that I no longer live at and are trying to tell me yeah. about my dad. And um, in the end, what ended up happening is they somehow got a hold of my mom and my mom is the one who called me and told me, but it was, you know, some 40 some odd hours after he had passed and mm-hmm. they couldn't, they couldn't find anyone, you know, but yeah. I think, you know, my mom refers to that as like a, what she calls a God thing where the universe throws you a bone. Um, yeah. And, you know, because I would much rather have received that information from her than from, you know, a knock a, on the door. A uniformed a police officer. Fucking, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, yeah, she, she thinks it was my dad's way of, of communicating with her, but who knows? Yeah. I think that that's the part of that, I guess, ephemera is throughout this record too. And, and I really love the way that you talk about it and the like, you know, we can kind of comfortably get through like our our lives as um you know, it's we went to church when we had to. I don't fucking I haven't had to like address this like aspect of it, but you know, when you're receiving it and making sense of it and putting it into this record, I mean things like that have to like i don't know they all it's all meaningful right it's all Mm -hmm. it's all big i think too that like you know in in going back to the like essay metaphor i think one of the great things about what you did with the spoken word stuff is that you're able to include so much more Mm -hmm. um was 
I guess was using spoken word in that way. Was it just it's where you were at, like creatively at the time, or did you sort of say, well, the only way that all of this will make sense and the best way for me to communicate it is through this? Yeah. I mean, I think it was kind of looking at, some existing material and thinking about themes that had come up for me after, you know, while I was like in the very beginning of my grieving process. Um, I think it, I was just pulling, you know, um, things that were coming out at that time. And then certain things that, you know, as I was reflecting on, um, loss and the loss of my dad and our relationship and, um, some of the things that he experienced and things that I was experiencing, it was like, you know, it was like pulling the evidence and it was like, Mm -hmm. well, here's, here's some sonic evidence and then here's some poetic evidence. And, um, you know, some of that, you know, some of those poems became songs like haiku for everyone you loved and miss is Mm -hmm. just a series of haiku, um, set to music, but some of them, yeah, it would have been, you know, I can't imagine turning Mexican restaurant into a song. It it just, it needed to remain a poem. And so I felt like it was something that I always wanted to do was try and find a way to merge the two. And, um, it was an appropriate, uh, an appropriate moment for that, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and poetry is so sparse. You experience it differently than you do music. Music, you have a few opportunities for emotionality um, because you can respond to the music and you can respond to language. Mm-hmm. Um, and with poetry, you really, it's almost like it, it begs you to be more imaginative and you really have to connect. You really have to lean on your ability to like synthesize language. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, and that way it makes you work a little harder to to feel, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. In terms of the recordings of that, I mean, those are, there's obviously there's a lot of hiss to it. And I feel like that also provides just, I think it helps the entire like, processing of it to just have this sort of uh background tone um Mm -hmm. was that did you kind of like did you all dial that in like together or did you record that at home and then like you know transfer it into um i recorded all the spoken word in at the bunk in the studio yeah and then when i listened back to it it didn't feel right and so I re-recorded it at home with a microphone that is a telephone with an XLR input. Um, oh, hell yeah. So it has this, I think just holding the phone made it feel like a communication. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that really produced a different feeling. Um, and it obviously sounds different because it's a telephone microphone. So it's got like this kind of strange, you know, like you're a little bit far away, you're communicating, you know, I think a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of the theme of the record is sort of like you're, you know, and death is like trying to communicate with someone you, you no longer can communicate with in the way that you thought you could. Um, and yeah, it, it gave this sort of like, it took the isolatory aspect away from it in some ways. Um, and I think that that helped the poetry sound more lively um, or more alive, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Did you like, you wire that shit up yourself or? No, um, a, f- a former, a boss of mine, uh-huh. um, a coffee shop I worked at in New York city, um, I don't remember why they gave it to me. Um, uh, but yeah, we were talking about 
I was talking about trying to like get a certain sound and Mm -hmm. um, they're a filmmaker and, um, but you know, have made music and used to make music and they were like, I never use this anymore. Here, take it. So I should tell, I should tell him actually. I don't think, I don't think I've told him that I should send him the record. Yes, definitely do. Mm -hmm. I got an old phone in the garage. I'm going to see if I can figure it out. It's cool. I really like to use it underneath vocal tracks because it like, yeah, it like, I don't know. It just like takes you somewhere. It transports you somewhere. It's really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And you can't... Oh, awesome. Hell yeah. I got nothing to do after this. Yeah. <laughs> Wire it up, baby. <laughs> um, the first song, Wild River, it, it ends with a couplet. I wanted to be a wild river but I'm a still country creek. And I related to that a lot. I didn't mention this when we said our hellos, but I moved to Valparaiso, Indiana. That's why that's oh, why we're did? making mutter- uh, butterflies. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Awesome. Congrats. Thanks. Um, but Jay, Jay and I, we're both Virgo moons. I mean, you're, mm. you're a Virgo, right? Yeah, Virgo moon, Virgo sun, Gemini rising. Hell yeah, dude. We have so harnessed that fucking Virgo energy. And I think that like that, I related to that line so much because I think that I've always like, you know, had this like idea of being out there and, and, and doing more, but I feel much stronger when i'm grounded and kind of like i have people that i can live vicariously through mm-hmm. and um i guess what what does that line mean for you yeah i think it's kind of thinking about having yeah striving to be something that at your core might not makes sense for you. Um, and, you know, grappling with that, with whether that has to do with fear that you're not owning. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, or if it's just accepting that what you want might not be as fabulous as, you know, people make it out to be. Um, And I, yeah, it, it makes me think of a couple things. Um, like my dad was such a, was an idea person. Like, like mm-hmm. always like, I want to start a worm farm or I want to, you know, start a thrift store. Or I want to, you know, I want to get, he, like his last, I think desired creative endeavor was wanting to have a jewelry business. And so when he died, we inherited a bunch of little like jewelry trinkets and stuff. Oh, um, wow. And I think that, you know, it's kind of, um, so it makes me think of this idea of like, you know, I think he and I were both kind of idea people, like I'm always having ideas and then I never go, I never do anything with them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know if that's because I'm scared or if it was because he was scared or if it's just because it's okay to live a boring life, which is something that I tell myself all the time. And it's something that I read in a, in a blog that actually um, was a woman, a young woman who passed away from a battle with cancer. And she left this, she had started a blog when she was diagnosed. And then she wrote this blog post that she wanted to be published posthumously Um about you know what matters like what she learned about what matters in life and Mm -hmm. one of the things that she said was it's okay to live a boring life it's okay to have a pretty satisfying but boring job and come home to someone that you love or your kids or your dog and really look forward to walking the dog it's like you don't have to live a fabulous life it's okay to be boring Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was like you know, sometimes I think about that when I get sort of obsessed with like, you know, but am I doing enough? Am I making the world a better place? Like, am I leaving my legacy? I think we're all sort of obsessed with being special. And it's like, yeah. 
the idea is that like everybody is special because you're a human being and you're born on this planet, you know, mm-hmm. but not everybody can be Beyonce. So, <laughs> you know, you have to accept the fact that like that doesn't make you less than it just makes you like, you know, not everybody wants that. And I think, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's the wondering if, you know, if you're engineering your own smallness or um, because of fear or if you're just accepting that you want more of a boring life than people see for you, you know? Yeah. There's a really great video of Killer Mike giving life advice. And he says, you got to accept being average. It's Mm -hmm. like, I hear, I hear a young black guys talk about, oh, I want to be Jay-Z. You're not going to be Jay-Z. There's five other guys around Jay-Z who can't get to be Jay-Z. And you're not going to get to be one of those guys either. (laughs) Um, I, I couldn't help but think about that line in particular too and and look back at where you were in march out on the road when the pandemic hit um that had to have been like such a wild experience of just because you were were you on your way from los angeles to south by southwest right yeah yeah how was, yeah, it was that? Oh, it was crazy. We were just, um, Roger and I were just kind of reviewing this because we, you know, I mean, it's it's been such a part of our experience because it was like, I remember being at work a few days before I left and, you know, reading the paper in the morning and being like, oh, fuck, this is, maybe this is like more real than I thought, but um you know, I think we, we were leaving, I think March 11th, we left, it was like a Wednesday or something. And South by had been, the South by cancellation had been announced a few days before. And we were like, oh man, maybe we, like, obviously canceling this big festival is the right thing to do, but we're Mm -hmm. playing small living room shows to probably like five to 15 people. Like, I don't think it's a big deal. Um, and you know, we debated and debated the whole morning before we got on the plane. And finally we just got on the plane and then you know, midway through our flight to LA, it was like the NBA is canceled. Tom Hanks has coronavirus. Um, you know, will we go into lockdown? And it's like, we're flying to one of the busiest airports on the planet. And it was just, you know, and canceling a tour. Like, I don't think people realize how hard it is to cancel a show. It's like, you work, Mm -hmm. you work so so much work goes into planning a tour and you know it takes a it's like for us there's a lot less on the line than bigger artists who are like paying an entire team and people's salaries mm-hmm. but you you work for like months in advance to do it and for most musicians it is what they love to do but it's also how they make money mm-hmm. and so and it's like you're fucking with people's lives like people plan around it and so it took a lot of back and forth to decide to cancel, but we we did. And um, obviously it was the right thing to do. But then it was like, well, we're not going to get in another airport. And we were flying out of Austin, so we have to get there somehow. Mm-hmm. And we decided that the safest thing to do would just be to cancel our tickets and drive across the country. And I, yeah, it was a wild experience. We saw like crazy shit. You know, we were in Marfa, Texas. and Yeah. People are getting kicked out of the coffee shop for like spreading rumors about, you know, people being sick in town. And it's like, wow. the only thing you can go to is the drive through at Dairy Queen. There's like 17 cars in line at the drive through at Dairy Queen, but it's completely closed. And uh-huh. like, just the, it's just, it was just so crazy. And we saw like a drive up church service at this like Baptist church in like Virginia. And yeah, as we made our way, it was kind of like things were sort of slowly shutting down. And we drove through. East Nashville and you know there had just been like this huge tornado there and so there was a lot of you know it was kind of painful to see that and even just you know I'd never been to I've played Nashville but I've never been to like the strip you know Mm -hmm. and um we kind of rolled through there and there was no one there and Roger was like 
you know, he has, he makes his records down there and has spent a lot of time there. And he was like, I've never seen it like this before. It was completely dead. Everything was shut down. And so, yeah, it was crazy. And then by the time we got back, like we got back on a Sunday and on Monday, Philly went into lockdown and it was like, Hmm. you know, no job, no, no certainty. It was pretty wild. Um, Yeah. And I, I think we're still, I'm still operating in this space where it's like, I haven't quite accepted that this is kind of like, it's not just going to turn on one day. You know, the, the switch isn't just going to be flipped. It's like, Oh my God. I need yeah. to accept like a different kind of life, you know? And so sometimes I think about that and I'm like, it's a good time to be a country Creek. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a great time to be a still country Creek, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, that has to just be, such a heady experience too i feel like every night you're on a cosmic plane right yeah it was so crazy i mean i I was so it's funny we we you know have all these photos from that time and i look like shit Uh, (laughs) i'm so tired and anxious and it's like you know we stayed one night in marfa we were supposed to stay two nights in marfa and we stayed at this sort of like glamping place, you know, but mm-hmm. it was, there were so many people there. It's outside, but it's just like, you don't know. And I was like, we, we can't stay here two nights. We have to keep moving. I can't, we have to go home. Like I can't yeah. be out here and not know, you know, it's like, I think there was a lot of light talk in Marfa about martial law. There's like tanks everywhere and people, it was, you know, there's just wow. so much sensationalism. And actually the only thing that, um, really lifted my spirits at that time was this little dog, this one-eyed pug named Daisy got lost in the, um, I know, I know, I know. And talk about grief space. Um, but this little one-eyed pug named Daisy, just like, I was like packing my bag and she wandered into our little tent and I was like, hello, hello. And, and I picked her up and she was just the best, most beautiful thing. And I walked mm. around and I was like, did anyone lose a one-eyed pug? <laughs> and, and we finally, you know, I walked her around the campground and this, this lady came up and, and she was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's my friend's dog. And I was like, well, you want to take her? And, and it was like, it really, I really needed it, that at that yeah. moment. She saved my life. Daisy the pug. Oh. Um, yeah. We had a we had a family friend that I, when we were growing up, and they had two pugs, Blossom and Daisy. And it was definitely like the beginning of like pugs in my life. Oh, we miss you, Chloe. We love you, Chloe. Um. So, when Prayer for Lonely People was released in June. Was the record done? Were you working on it? Um, the record was done. And I had been working on this music video. I originally planned to put the record out much earlier than I did. Um, mm-hmm. Or than I am. And yeah, I kind of like was trying to figure out how to do it. Because I'm doing it on my own. And I wanted to make sure it felt right. But, you know, it didn't feel right at that time. Um but Prayer for Lonely People was such a, um, I just felt like we really needed a prayer for lonely people. Everyone was so lonely. Um, and so it felt like a nice offering to that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I was, you know, had the idea to make a little music video and have some friends, you know, send the song to some friends and have them kind of dance along and have an excuse to like, laugh maybe and feel some joy and yeah um yeah it was a really special project it like really lifted my spirits to see everyone and you know I hope that I hope that other people got something out of it too and um yeah it's definitely like you know most it's not a traditional uh, record rollout to release a single in June that nobody knows is part of a record and then put it on a record that you release in February. But Hey, you know, there's no rules anymore. So, (laughs) um, so why, why is it coming out 
now? Why why did it take until February? Well, I wasn't like it didn't feel quite appropriate to. I didn't feel comfortable like um, putting out a record. Like it, a lot goes into it, and um, you know, so much happened over the summer. I really wanted to focus on focus my energy elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, and then by the time you know, I was like, well, maybe I'll put it out in the fall, and then that still didn't quite feel right, and um, I wasn't sure if I was going to press it to vinyl or just release it digitally. And then, you know, I decided that I did want to press it to vinyl, but those timelines are pretty long. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it ended up being perfect actually, because, um, you know, my dad was born in February and, um, I, yeah, I like am a little bit of a weird moon freak. So (laughs) it, it comes out on the Lunar New Year, which feels symbolic to me. Um, yeah. And yeah, I I think that you don't always know why things happen, but I do feel like, you know, that happened. It was kismet to wait. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm pleased. Um, there's a phrase you use with your dad. It's funny, haha. Mm-hmm. What What does that mean? Well, life is a funny haha has become my little like mantra and it kind of is the idea that life is so um comedically tragic mm-hmm. that you you know it sometimes it comes together so perfectly, you know, like things happen for a reason so perfectly. Yeah. And sometimes they come together so perfectly awfully that all you can do is like laugh at the ability of nature and life to be so perfectly cruel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of the idea that um, there's a quote I like to reference. I keep it on a sticky note. I should have it memorized, but I, since I'm right here with my stickies, um, <laughs> It's uh, the emotionally intelligent person knows how to hope and be grateful while remaining steadfast before the essentially tragic structure of existence. Um, And it's kind of like, you know, knowing that life is sort of like random and tragic, but it's as much full of pain as it is full of joy. And um, you have to kind of lean on, on the tools of like, striving for happiness, laughing, laughing it off, um, to really keep, to like really keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's become my little, my little saying. I mean, it's like the passions on both sides are, are equal and in a way that makes it all the same. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like sometimes it's just shit shit happens, you know, and you just got to like well, that's funny, you know. Like mm-hmm. if it's if it's beautiful or if it's ugly and, you know, life is life is a funny haha. Never know, you know. Never know what's going to happen. Got to keep a light heart. Um Yeah, my dad was certainly a person who uh, leaned on humor and was a kind man and um, really in the last few years of his life was trying to practice like radical positivity and acceptance and that was something that we bonded over in a big way and um, yeah he had like a what he called a bless the universe routine which uh-huh. is like a you know um, practicing putting into, you know, practice, finding joy and, um, turning your failures into lessons and what did, what do you like, uh, not sweating the bullshit would probably be his, 
his terminology. So yeah, mm-hmm. I I tell you what, my dude, the moment when you say I was proud of you too, fucking absolutely just that's just a really wonderful thing that you say thank you um and not to fucking mention this is the fucking this is the best thing that you've done this is so good anika thank you you push yourself you don't go by anything other than your intuition also vocally <sighs> windy city jesus when you just i almost want to bleep this out for people because i don't want to spoil it but when you <laughs> raise those last syllables if fuck, knock me over thank you um so the record's out tomorrow, and you're you're doing a vinyl pressing, but you also got a book coming yes. out. Yeah, yeah. It's um. So the vinyl and the book are sold together because the book is all the lyrics and poetry from the record and original artwork, collage, and photography. My collage shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That collage shit, you know, full uh-huh. collage. It's like some collage shit, some lyrics, you know, some poems. Um, <laughs> Prison Anika's uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's um, it's a perfect bound book. So it's like a book, real book, mm-hmm. um, but it's full color. And yeah, that comes, that comes with the vinyl, but I wasn't going to make CDs or cassettes or anything. So people who want a physical piece of memorabilia, um, but are just going to listen to the record, you know, on Spotify or Bandcamp or whatever, can have the option to buy a book. Um, and yeah, those will kind of come out in some different stages. But yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's fun. It's very fun. Thanks for coming on again. It's always such a pleasure. Please Thanks, come man. back anytime. Oh, yeah. It's really nice to see you and hang out in the virtual right, world. Check out Anika Hell yeah. and Wild River <laughs> online. AnikaPile.bandcamp.com. AnikaPile.com. BetterYetPod.com. BetterYetPodcast.bandcamp.com. Pleasure the show on Patreon. Patreon.com. Slash BetterYetPodcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you, friends.